This particular opening segment doesn't pertain to any part of the show topic at all. It's just a little something that I want to get off my chest. August 19th and August 20th. These days brought about the end of phase one of the Roman Reigns initiative. Vince McMahon finally got the end to the story he had been planning for the last four years. Roman Reigns finally slaying the beast Brock Lesnar and becoming the Universal Champion. In my SummerSlam preview and predictions, I had booked a particular scenario in which Reigns had won the Universal Championship at SummerSlam, was then attacked by Lesnar, the Raw after SummerSlam, having Lesnar leave, then Strowman would come out of nowhere, swoop in, cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, and win the Universal Championship, and at the crowd in Brooklyn go absolutely apeshit. There were two goals of my booking. Ensuring Reigns would take the title off of Lesnar, getting it back on Raw full-time, but that he wouldn't be the one leaving Brooklyn with the belt. The second would be creating the beginnings of a Roman Reigns heel turn, one filled with rage and anger of being screwed over by Strowman himself. Now, all that rage and all that anger would probably go into the next week and him attacking Strowman and seeing a side of Roman we had never seen before. This is a heel turn that has been warranted for some time and that hardcore fans have been talking about for years. This opening phase of the initiative has completely failed, blown up in their faces, and will continue to be a failure. What I had booked, and what WWE are booking at this very moment, are two completely different sides of the booking spectrum. Reigns is unfortunately still a babyface holding the Universal Championship, and a majority of the fans are still booing him out of the building every single night. Ahead of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, it has become even worse. A man like Braun Strowman, who has been looked at as a perennial babyface in the eyes of fans, has now been turned into a fucking heel by Vince McMahon. Yes, they turned Braun Strowman into a heel for the sake of keeping Rand's baby face. This is how bad it has gotten for us, guys. Strowman. When you say Braun Strowman, you love Braun Strowman. At least the majority of the time. Fans flock to him. He was supposed to be cast as a heel from the beginning. But over time, fans warmed up to him. Fans fell in love with him. His match at Great Balls of Fire... Was it Great Balls of Fire? SummerSlam. I believe it, yeah, it was, no, it was No Mercy, actually. Samoa Joe was Great Balls of Fire. You know, he showed off in that match. He, he became a, a bigger name, and fans flocked to him. Then we had The Shield. That same week, when Strowman was about to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, made their return to WWE less than a year after they made a return to face The Miz and The Miz Taraj at Survivor Series. We all know how that ended up. Ambrose, unfortunately, getting a tricep injury at the hands of Braun Strowman, 
and they had Kurt Angle take his place. And that was just fun. It could have been a TLC. I'm not sure which. It really doesn't matter because that particular run was bad. Bad, bad, bad. And now they are back once again to shield Roman away from the booze that we will be giving him going forward. And they can only get a cheap pop from the crowd because it's going to happen. Everyone loved, We love the shield. They were one of the best stables ever in this company. That's not an argument. But now they're going to be going against Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre. That's what you booked them to do, huh? That's what you booked them to do. A six-man tag match at WWE Super Show in Australia next month. Think about it in the terms of, you know, the booking for Rollins and Ambrose. Rollins is the current Intercontinental Champion. And he has been reduced to making sure Reigns doesn't get booed out of the building. This man has a mid-card title to defend. But instead of defending the title against, you know, Balor, Elias, Rude, Lashley, Owens, if they ever did it again. He has been reduced to ensure Reigns doesn't get booed. And get that pop. In terms of Dean Ambrose, it's just as bad. I mean, the man had been out for, you know, nine months with injury. And he has also been reduced to ensure Reigns doesn't get booed out of the building. Had they been booking Reigns correctly, none of this would be going on. Ambrose would be, you know, beginning the makings of his own heel turn. And having a major feud with Rollins. Whether it be over the Intercontinental Championship or not. Because we do know they were slated to face each other at WrestleMania 34 before the injury bug hit Ambrose. And, I mean, to think, try to think of it from their mental. It must be very disheartening for both men to know that they're being booked the way they are. I mean, I don't know what's going to... I mean, are we going to have another Rollins-Ziggler feud? We're going to have Rollins McIntyre for the Intercontinental Championship, even though it would be interesting. I wouldn't want any of it. It just amazes me how WWE just, just wants to be mediocre in this case. Now, I mean, you could have Ambrose still complete his heel turn by screwing over the Shield in their match that they're going to have against Strowman, Ziggler, and McIntyre in Australia for the Super Show. You could. But at this point, I do not trust... I do not trust any part of the booking that Vince McMahon, beaver-tooth-looking cuckboy Kevin Dunn, and the rest of his cronies have in their minds for the remainder of 2018 and beyond. This is why I said in Episode 6 that WWE will be breaking that worst rated viewership record before the end of this year. Every single bit of the main event and the mid-card scene is now focused around one man, Roman Reigns. This kind of thought process has hindered and will continue to hinder the Raw brand until Vince McMahon either hangs it up for good until he dies. We will continue to suffer as fans of the product until Triple H takes the keys to the Ferrari. 
the product will continue to suffer until Triple H takes the keys to the kingdom. Raw will continue to suffer as a whole until it becomes a joke. Wait. No, it already has. I'm sorry. To every single person who has shit on us for being negative about the product, for having a differing opinion about the product, for shitting on Roman Reigns every single chance we get, kindly take those thoughts and shove it up your ass. To those same people who decide to tell us week in and week out that if we don't like the product, we shouldn't watch. Fuck you and the horse you dumbasses rode in on. If us podcasters didn't watch the product, you wouldn't have anything to listen to on the way to work. You wouldn't have anything to listen to to drown out your girlfriend while she bitches at you about getting a better job so you can buy her more handbags and shoes. If we didn't have these podcasts like Solomonster, JD from NY206 with Off the Script, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, Steve Austin, Steven Larson, you know, any one of the bigger names in the pop wrestling podcast community, you guys wouldn't have anything to talk about with your friends who watch the product too. You guys are the same people who will defend Roman Reigns being the best thing in professional wrestling when we know he's not. The same people who will give 8.5 and 9 ratings for Raw, SmackDown lines, and pay-per-views when they don't fucking deserve them. You are the same people who suck the WWE dick day in and day out. It makes me sick knowing that as long as every single one of you dumb fucks are on your knees begging for more of this filth, WWE will continue to give us shitty programming. Even after the Fox deal kicks in next October, that $1 billion deal, I bet they will still give us the same shitty programming afterward too, I guarantee it. If I were the executives at Fox and NBC Universal, I would be watching very closely for the next four months, for the remainder of 2018. And if any of those ratings kept going down, and especially if they break that record again, I would call Vince McMahon personally and tell him that if you do not shape the fuck up and get this to where it needs to be, we're taking the deal off the table. Unless they've already signed it in which they fucked themselves over. Now, I was listening to Off the Script uh, from uh, JD from NY206, and he was talking about a report that had came out about a week or so ago that Skybet over in England had came out with their initial betting odds for the Royal Rumble. Would you like to know who was the early favorite to win the Rumble? I'll give you some time to think about it. I'll wait. You have it in your head? If you guessed The Rock at 2-1, to one, you would be absolutely correct. Yep. The Rock is the early odds-on favorite to win the Royal Rumble and more than likely face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania 35. What? You don't think for one second that Vince McMahon hasn't penciled that in already? If you said no, try again. Don't you think that after The Rock helped Roman win the Rumble and seeing them both get booed in Philly. They would refrain from even attempting to book this match? No. They never learned from their mistakes, and I guess they still don't understand the definition of insanity either. 
WrestleMania 35 will be going down in my home state of New Jersey in seven months' time. If this is what we may possibly be getting in the main event, prepare for another seven-hour nightmare. You have Daniel Bryan, probably one of the biggest baby faces in the WWE, if not the biggest baby face in WWE right now. Right for a championship run. Somehow, some way, you can get the Miz to get the title. You go into Royal Rumble. Daniel Bryan wins the Royal Rumble. And we have Bryan versus the Miz at WrestleMania. Now, we do know with Bryan, he will be facing the Miz at the Super Show for number one contendership of the WWE Championship after the whole deal with Samoa Joe and AJ Styles goes down. But how in, how in the fuck are you even going to even... Just show The Rock being the odds-on favorite in September. I know it's September, and it's like, yeah, we're still four months away, dude. Chill. But that's their initial thought. And don't think for one second he hasn't really thought about it and talked about it with his team. It may have been thrown out in a meeting. I know there's been rumors out there for a while that The Rock wants another WrestleMania match. He could have had it with Triple H. But that didn't happen. He was he was supposed to be slated to have, you know, Ronda Rousey as a teammate to go up against uh, Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. But instead, they went with Kurt Angle. But when I say long-term booking needs to be displayed here, I, I, don't, I don't think WWE is getting it. Think of like that's just insane to me to think that we would want to see Roman Reigns versus The Rock for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania, and more than likely being the main event, and having Roman Reigns get his fifth straight WrestleMania main event match. Vince McMahon, for your sake, and especially your sanity, retire. Give Triple H the keys to the kingdom. Let him get rid of all your cronies. And let him and his team create the vision that we have been seeing in NXT for years. When you look across the WWE umbrella, NXT is the only show on that brand that gets it right. 205 Live, if if some of you didn't know, is under the watch of Triple H. And if you've watched any of their, you know, recent episodes, I just heard that, you know, Buddy Murphy and I think either Lindsay Dorado or Kalisto had an amazing match against each other one-on-one. I've seen Buddy Murphy versus Mustafa Ali in a no-disqualification match, and that was insane. I saw Alexander and Murphy for the Cruiserweight Championship months ago, and it was awesome. And now the talent on that show is actually looking good. But Vince, you're too old. And you haven't had it since God knows how long. It is over with. If I were you, honestly, I would make WrestleMania 35 my swan song. I would have the event. I would announce it, you know, on a a Monday Night Raw. Saying that, you know, over time, over the years, you know, I've been giving you the best quality I could. being Being in heel form, of course. 
They're giving you the best product every single week. And even though it's bullshit, he'll get he'll get a pop. He'll get like a you know nice little boo action from the crowd. And tell them that. But it's gotten to the point where I don't know if I can do this anymore. You bring out Triple H. You bring out Stephanie McMahon. Hell, you bring out Shane McMahon. Why not? And you simply tell them at, after WrestleMania, the night after WrestleMania 35, when we leave New York, New Jersey, I am done. And I will I would announce my retirement from the company. I would let the crowd know that Triple H will be the chairman of WWE, whether it be, you know, storyline or not. You know, Vince McMahon can just be behind the scenes and, you know, be there and just have his fun with that. But Triple H really needs to start taking over. He has a team in place. Look at who he's got underneath him. I mean, you got Shawn Michaels, you know, Matt Bloom, Sarah Del Rey, you know, with the ladies. William Regal there, you know, can definitely give some input as he is the GM of NXT. He's got a solid crew going forward. Vince, walk away while you still have the chance to save yourself from more ridicule from the fans. This is episode 7 of the Young Lions Perspective, and with that being said, let us begin. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling With Issues podcast here, and welcome to episode seven of the Young Lions Perspective. So glad to have you guys here with me uh, as we are going to be talking about All In, the show from last night, the biggest independent show of not only 2018, but maybe of all time. It was an amazing five hours of programming. I didn't get tired once. I was happy from beginning to end. But right now, we need to talk about the recent episode of NXT that happened this past Wednesday, this being the first episode off of the heels of TakeOver Brooklyn 4. We know usually the week after they have TakeOvers, they usually have like a review show of the matches that happened at TakeOver and then a couple of matches that you know were pre-taped before this show. They had Deanna Perrazzo taking on Bianca Belair. That was a really good ladies match. And then they had Zach Gibson challenging Pete Dunne for the WWE UK Championship. And if you had seen their first match... From the UK uh, Championship Tournament Day 2, this match, I think, was just as good as their first encounter. So, starting off the show, they had a, uh, just a nice little opening with Kathy Kelly talking to uh, NXT General Manager William Regal, uh, discussing what's going to be going down with Aleister Black, and he did announce that there will be official investigation that was going to be launched to determine who attacked Aleister Black. I'm still... On the side of Cassius Ono, I still think Cassius Ono was the one who did it. Um, but after this segment, it definitely made me question a couple things with what they were going to do moving forward. So they started the segment out with Johnny Gargano coming out to the ring, having a limping to the ring with a crutch after his uh, amazing battle with Tommaso Ciampa at Takeover Brooklyn. No music whatsoever. Uh, fans did applaud our Gargano for his efforts. 
They were very supportive of him. I heard multiple Johnny Wrestling chants before he even uh, said his first few words in the promo. He begins by saying that the fans have always had his back. But he doesn't deserve it right now. He was very imperative about saying that. And uh, despite the chance, he said he broke a promise. He knows he had failed the fans and he didn't fix his mistakes because he's not the NXT champion. He said in a promo prior to uh, Brooklyn that he made a mistake, not only screwing Aleister Black of the NXT championship, but not getting the job done and beating Tommaso Ciampa and writing, writing that wrong. He did say he lost himself in Brooklyn. And then he's done a lot of stupid things lately. He, he feels like he just doesn't know what to do anymore or where to go next. He became Champa in Brooklyn. He became the one person that he hated. He says that Champa's now in his head and he, he doesn't know. He just he wants to get Champa out of his head for good. And he's got to be better for the Johnny Wrestling fans. Out comes William Regal. This this portion of the segment was fucking intense. He stares in Johnny's face and asks him, point blank, did he attack Aleister Black? Gargano, with a menacing look on his face, says, you tell me. Regal asked him again. Gargano then tells Regal, Look into my eyes, and you'll know the answer. The intensity between William Regal and Johnny Gargano there was amazing. It really kind of, you know, made you think maybe it was Johnny that attacked Alistair. You know, I mean, you can put him in the list of suspects. He did have reason. He would have reason to do it. You know, you know, trying to get into instead of a triple threat, just being a one-on-one matchup. The possibility is there. I'm still not, you know, ruling out Cassius Ono. I still think he's the he's the one that did it. Who knows? We'll know soon enough. I hope. Hopefully, we'll probably know before War Games, and they'll set up a match between, you know, Black and whoever was the one who attacked him. Out comes the Velveteen Dream, and he is getting love from the fans, especially after his match with EC3 from Brooklyn, which was a really good match between the two. Dream definitely showed up and showed out with that, and I like where they're positioning him at the moment. Dream says that he's sick and disgusted with Gargano singing the same old song. Woe is Johnny. He says this shouldn't be about Gargano or a man who isn't in the building, meaning Aleister Black. It should be about him, the experience. He says the experience that's still Brooklyn. The experience that had the world buzzing, and it should be about the Velveteen Dream. He then looks to Gargano and calls him Johnny Failure. You know, Gargano then just looks at him and just knocks the mic against his head a couple times and says he he, he might have that crutch, but he says he's good to go for the night. He threw the crutch at Dream and almost and pretty much Dream jumped out of the way of that. Rico tells Gargano to stop. And told both of them to go to his office. And they, and then he sets up a match between the Velveteen Dream and Johnny Gargano for next week. So with that segment, not only did we get, you know, further the story, like, further departure storyline of 
Alistair Black, but we got a match between Dream and Gargano for next week, and I'm really excited about that. And that's honestly one of the things that NXT provides you is just a, you know that you know that investment into next week's show. They want to give you something to look forward to, you know, and and that's why I feel NXT is just leaps and bounds beyond the main roster right now, and and just mainly with the storytelling of certain storylines that are going on right now. That's my kind of shit. You know, I want to be, it's kind of like a good book, you know, for those who, you know, who still, you know, read books like that, if you don't have like a Kindle or anything, you know, you're invested in the story itself, you know, the characters, the, you know, what's going to be going on, you know, with throughout the story in and of itself. This match between Dream and Gargano is going to be fucking amazing this coming Wednesday. I'm really excited to see how they're going to do this. Right now, I'm going with the Dream. I'm just going to make a quick pick here. Just give Dream some momentum, let Gargano screw himself over. But that, that should be a fun main event to have for next week, as was the main event we're going to talk about in a little bit. They had Dakota Kai taking on Aaliyah. I'm not going to talk too much about this. I'm just going to like, I'm just in love with the fact that, you know, the NXT Women's Division, now that we have Kyrie Shane as the new NXT Women's Champion, she's going to need challengers for the titles. And they've been building up the division as a whole very nicely. You know, you still have Sheena Baszler. She's going to be looking for her rematch. I hope they have that at uh, Evolution. That would be really something nice there to provide for the NXT Women's Championship uh, next month in Long Island. You know, you have Candice LeRae pretty much right behind him, Bianca Belair. Deanna Perrazzo, Lacey Evans, Dakota Kai, Vanessa Bourne, Aaliyah. This is a very solid division. Their depth is pretty nice. And, of course, now you're going to have the Mae Young Classic starting this Wednesday as well. you got, you know, ladies like Rhea Ripley, Raina Gonzalez, Tony Storm, Ginny, Isla Dawn. I mean, the depth is there. Um, the ending at scene, both women go into the ropes. Aaliyah gets take, uh, gets a takedown, swinging Kai is headed by the edge of the, by the hair, runs into the mat. She continues to pull at Kai's hair, stops to uh, just talk shit a little bit. Kai stops it, runs into the ropes, jumps up, flips over Lear, and hits a double knee backbreaker that she calls the chiropractor. This is right off Lords of Pain by Matt. I don't know if they're, they're calling it that, the chiropractor, but if they do, I fucking love it. The move was clean as fuck. I like that. They have Kai starting to position herself. She's right there in the pack. I think she's right in the... I'd say, like, if I had to do a ranking right now in terms of who I feel is at where they need to be, I would put, you know, Sandin Baszler 1 and 2. Then you have LeRae, Belair. I'd put I'd put Kai right at 5. Maybe Evans 5 and then Kai 6. They're definitely, like, that's a good 6 to have in there. And I think now... They may be starting to push Kai a little bit. Maybe have her have a match, you know, on the pre-show. Uh, the week after they have uh, TakeOver War Games. I'm not sure, but where they have the division right now is fantastic. Dakota Kai gets the win. And they said actually five minutes. Um, even for Aaliyah, this is probably one of her best showings. Um, she she has that heel look that I like. Um, she's very, you know, boisterous, you know, talking a lot of shit. I do enjoy that. I do like where, even for the lower-rung girls, 
they're still getting shine as well. And I think, you know, with, of course, being a developmental, they're going to put their best foot forward every single time they come through. I like where they're at. I think Kai's going to be, a, you know, not a centerpiece, but a definitely a piece of the division to watch out for moving forward. They had Regal sitting in his office, questioning Velveteen Dream. Uh, he actually thanks them for the time instead of, you know, I'm kidding. He claimed it was a waste of time. He walked out after that, and it was just blah. We then get to see the Forgotten Sons. And this is a uh, tag team I have been hearing about from certain podcasters. Uh, JD from NY206, um, Sala Monster. They've been talking about these three guys. Steve Cutler, Wesley Blake, who you remember from Blake and Murphy in NXT, and Jackson Riker. I had ne- I never heard of this guy. I might have to look these boys up. But I have heard of Steve Steve Cutler. He, I believe he was part of uh, PWX down in the Carolinas, and he's been really damn good as of late. So they come in there. Cutler tells uh, Regal, you know, how it seems that they finally noticed them, and they wanted a face-to-face to get an op- They want an opportunity. They want to, you know, make a name for themselves in the NXT Tag Team Division. Blake does tell Regal they had nothing to do with Aleister Black because they were on their way to Regal's office. They wouldn't have had the time to lay him out. So Regal says... You know, yeah, I guess you are right. You do, you know, you do deserve an opportunity. And next week, I believe they're making their TV debut in a in a tag match. So I'm really excited to see what the Forgotten Sons are going to be do, are going to be, you know, portrayed going forward. You do need tag teams. I mean, we have the Undisputed Era. Street Profits are coming back. You have, you know, the mighty War Raiders right there. Mustache Mountain, if they want to bring them back in. It's a very nice tag team division. I'm not going to forget heavy, heavy machinery, of course, you know, stakes and weights. Love all that. And I, I, it's just, they're built, they're starting their storylines right away. And it just in a snap, it begins the push towards the road war games. I was about to say road games. Jesus Christ. I just had a fantasy draft guys. I'm sorry. I have a lot of things going on in my head. I swear. I picked Kirk Cousins. Solid pick. We then get a, Next segment going on, EC3 was going to have a match against Raul Mendoza, and they go backstage, and there's apparently been an altercation. You know, EC3's down, equipment's just destroyed, referees, you know, run towards them. And in the background, we see Lars Sullivan. So it might, so they could, so now we have Lars Sullivan, you know. Not only being the man, possibly the man who attacked EC3, but, and we did see the video of him being in that video with Aleister Black. So now you add, you have Gargano, you have Sullivan, you still have, you know, I believe still Ono in the mix. And now you start getting start, and that's, I'm liking the storyline so far. There's so, like, at least there's, it's not like they point, they have the whole storyline and it's all centered around one person. They're going to give you, you know, multiple guys who you may think did it. And then it, I'm saying it might come down to like three or four guys. So we already may have like two main culprits here. And now Sullivan becomes number two. They go back to uh, Regal's all. And so before I even get to the, ne- the rest of the segment, if maybe we get a, you know, a little EC3 Lars Sullivan feud going on, just going to throw it out there a little bit. Maybe. Please. 
or Favor, because that would be something very special. I would like to see. I mean, it's NXT. You can go crazy with this. So we go back to William Regal's office. Nikki Cross is just being crazy as usual. Regal's trying to get Cross to talk about what she saw on the rooftop. She was the only one that were up th- was up there at the time. And Cross basically said it was beautiful what she saw. Then she hears a phone ringing and she picks up the phone to see if she can answer it. She's just basically talking to no one and being her crazy self as always. <laughs> then she starts, she starts saying, singing, I should say, that she knows a secret and lies down on the desk. We then see Bianca Baylor walk in and she says she's tired of waiting for a meeting. Cross starts touching uh, Belair's uh, braid, and Belair, t- Belair tells her, don't touch the hair. She then tells Regal that she's healthy, and she's ready for a title shot above everyone else. Cross says she wants to play, too. So, once they're done with the meeting, maybe we can see a possible match between Belair and Cross. That's something that I, I pretty much enjoy seeing. The style of Cross is amazing, and having her still in NXT, working with the ladies, just adds another layer to the wonderful cake that is the women's division. So Raul Mendoza comes out for his match with EC3, and now knowing that EC3 got laid out by Sullivan, Sullivan comes out with a mic. He says that unlike the Ballister Black situation, there's no question who took out EC3. He did it. He's pissed at what EC3 said a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, as for Mendoza, he's standing in Lars Sullivan territory. I don't know exactly what he said to Lars. I might have to look that up. And But that's what I'm going off what was paying.net is saying. Sullivan pretty much goes to attack Mendoza. Headbutts, mauls him, power slam, freak accident. There wasn't even a match. It was just a beatdown. I feel sorry for Mendoza. Hope, hope you got that good check, bro. Now, this was his first appearance since Chicago. You know, he does have motive to attack Aleister Black because still by storyline, Black broke his jaw with Black Mass. Maybe he did it. I don't know. Possible. Very possible. So we then see Keith Lee make his uh, second match. And up and going up against Luke Menzies. Not much to say here. Um, Menzies actually is a professional rugby player down, I believe, in Australia, they said. Um, Keith Lee pretty much... This is actually a solid match between Lee and Menzies. I like Keith Lee already. As a whole. You know, basking his glory and all that goodness. And this was definitely one of... I didn't see the match that they had with uh, Marcel Bethel. Because I just want to hear, you know, ring comp music. It's beautiful. If you haven't heard the theme song yet, listen to that. But, you know, Lee gets you know, the crowd going. Chance of, you know, basking his glory. I heard that. Keith Lee, I heard. Short little match. The ending of this match, I actually had seen uh, Menzies uh, get back up. He's throwing pun- He's pretty much been throwing punches the entire match. He's definitely going to be someone to look out for because he's in the PC right now. So he made his debut as well. Follows Lee around the ring, continues to strike him. He's, he, he doesn't have much. He's got something a little bit going. 
Ronaldo says he's, uh, he's impressed folks at the PC. Off the ropes, Lee tackles Menzies. Sent him flying to the mat. Gets him a body land in the corner. A two-in-hand slaps to the chest. Called that Grizzly Magnum. He then picks him up on his shoulders and drops a sit-out power bomb that he's calling the Spirit Bomb. Appreciate the Dragon Ball Z reference and gets the pinfall victory here. Ronaldo did say during the match that Keith Lee's size, you know, with Keith Lee's size, he should not be able to do what he does. And that boy is agile. He has great athleticism. The power is always there. I'm hoping maybe one day he might just, you know, do a little, you know, topic on EO or just, you know, come off the top rope and just jump on everybody. That would be pretty dope. We then uh, see a promo for Danny Birch and Oni Lorkin coming back in two weeks. We haven't seen them, I believe, since Chicago when Lorkin received the injury. I think it was a, I believe it was a knee injury that he got. And that really fucking sucked. I love the team of Birch, Birch and Lorkin. They're, I mean, their match with Undisputed Era take over Chicago was something to behold. And one of my favorite matches of the year. It'll probably definitely be in my top 10 honorable mentions list for this year. Excuse me. I, oh, man. I'm really excited to see them come back. Maybe, you know, we get a nice little feud maybe with the Mighty. Street Profits are there. You can get some good feuds with Birch and Logan. And there are two heavy-hitting guys. They are strong style personified in NXT. I fucking love them. So I can't wait to see them in a couple weeks. I believe now it's one week. So we'll see them next week. You heard it here first. The main fucking event. I know I've been going on for a while. But this this is going to take a little bit. And the main event being Ricochet and Pete Dunne. Versus the Undisputed Era. This was, the, this is why I was going to call this episode a gold mine of a main event. You have Ricochet being the new North American champion, Pete Dunne with the UK title, Undisputed Era with the tag gold, and this fucking match is. This was a great match, and this is really a great way to close out the show. I'm just going to go through the couple of the highlights that they had here. You had, uh, he did his, uh, ricochet with his trademark, tumbling head scissors, dropkick combo on Strong. That's always a good combination to have. Strong hold of the progress long enough to tag in Cole. And to see that before the beginning of the match, Cole said to O'Reilly, I'm in this tag match and I want a piece of ricochet. That added more into the match itself. You, you know, Cole wanted a little bit of revenge on ricochet. You know, being that he did just take the title from him at Brooklyn a couple weeks ago. That was a nice little bit before the match started. So, they had a jumping neckbreaker from Cole. Actually, on Strong by Ricochet, I'm sorry. Cole's got nowhere to go, and the two and then the two of them begin trading shots. They they were hitting each other crazy. Strong, they hits a backbreaker on Ricochet. Tag Cole's back into the apron, unknown to Ricochet. That was a nice little heel thing they got going there. Strong then taunts Dunn, starts talking mess, continues to pound on a ricochet in their corner. And McGinnis, this one piece of information they have, I like what he said here. He called the Undisputed Era an army of harmony. And agreeing with Percy Watson, and I'm, he's actually come along pretty well too as an announcer. He's done all right for himself. 
he's agreeing with Watson on how each member is interchangeable in a tag match and they still work well together. And that's what I love about the Undisputed Era. This is kind of like the thing with the New Day. They can do their free bird thing and still produce great matches, whether it be, you know, of course, the main team of O'Reilly and Strong. They've been working very well together. O'Reilly and Fish, whenever Fish comes back into the fold, Cole O'Reilly and so on. And they are right in saying that. They are probably one of the best things about NXT, if not the best thing, one of the best things in WWE right now. They then had a gut buster, double axe handle, double team move by Strong and Cole. Got Ricochet for a two count. You saw an amazing drop kick by Strong. Ricochet was trying to fight out of the chicken wing submission. Gets that. Cole gets tagged in. Continues the submission attack on Ricochet. Dunn then gets the hot tag, and he's ready to go. Hits a huge back body drop on Strong. Step up in Seguri in the corner. Stays on his feet. Hits a belly-to-back. Goes for the belly-to-back suplex. Hits that on by Strong, actually. Dunn hits the X-plex on Cole and, puts, and lands him on his partner, and that was so fucking clean that it looked like they hurt it really did i only got a two count off that ricochet hit a twisting suplex on cole sent him out of the ring dunn's having his way with strong gets a sit out power bomb only gets a two count when cole interrupted the count dunn catches super when uh cole went for a super kick on dunn and then out of nowhere you see a flying shoulder tackle by ricochet that was a nice little double team thing there moonsault on the outside by Dunn hitting both of them. Ricochet is about to take off, goes through the ropes, and Cole pushes Dunn into Ricochet, hits a flying lariat on the two. Cole pulling Strong out of the way. That, but the Cole threw Ricochet back in the ring, hits the last shot, gets the pinfall, and the victory for the Undisputed Era. After the match, Strong takes Ricochet from the floor, brings him into the ring. He's beaten down by all three Undisputed Era members. Out of nowhere, then War Raiders music hits, and they are running towards the ring. Undisputed Era get out of the way and go running up the ramp. Cole blowing a kiss as they back, walk backwards up the ramp and showing their hand gesture to end NXT. This was a fucking fantastic show. And... You get a couple things out of it. You go to get Dream Gargano for next week. You now begin the storyline between Undisputed Era and War Raiders. You got a nice little women's match between uh, Aaliyah and Dakota Kai. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure somewhere down the line, now we're going to start the EC3 Lars Sullivan deal. There's a lot to take away from this show, and I enjoyed every single second of it. Great show. Can't wait for next week. You get... I believe they said uh, on the show, too, Kyrie Sane is coming back next week. I'm sure she'll address the crowd after she won the NXT Women's Championship. So you get a lot to look forward to going on next week. Right now, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about the amazing show from last night. That is all in. Back soon. What's going on, y'all? I'm taking time out real quick to not only thank you for checking out the Young Lions Perspective, but to shout out CastBox for adding me to their app and becoming the newest member of the YLP distribution machine. Of course, you can also find me on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, and you know, oh, you know, 
we're on that good old Spotify dream. Just search for Young Lions Perspective, and I guarantee you, you will find it anywhere on those apps, no problem. You can also check me out at anchor.fm slash Young Lion Perspective and listen to every episode from the Anchor app. Now, in terms of upcoming episodes and what you can expect moving forward, the May Young Classic, the second annual May Young Classic, begins this coming Wednesday. And I saw the Bracketology episode, and I was definitely intrigued by how they position the brackets and who they have matched up in the first round. Uh, the first thought I saw when I came to mind, I really went right to Tony Storm and Jenny. And if you know about their feud they have in Progress Wrestling, you know this match is going to be one hell of a barn burner for this tournament. The 32 women look poised to make waves in the tournament, and you know that the Young Lions perspective will be covering it from top to bottom until the finals at WWE Evolution at the end of October. Of course, I'll be covering all episodes of NXT as well as my Hell in a Cell preview and predictions, and I'm curious to see how WWE will be building up to the pay-per-view. I'm also excited about the SmackDown side, of course, with Styles and Joe, the Becky Charlotte feud, and Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy and how they're going to have their match going forward at Hell in a Cell in Hell in a Cell. So, if you've been enjoying the first six and a half episodes of the Wild P Podcast, and I greatly appreciate it when you do, I'm sure you would enjoy listening to the Wrestling With Issues podcast. You can check out myself, Kevin, Nick, Jay, and Clover as we give you an interesting and alternative point of view as we talk about the world of professional wrestling. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, that good old Podbean fam, because it's that fucking good. It's just good. And of course, you know we are on SoundCloud, the mothership that started it all. But enough talking about me. Let's get back into the show and talk about the greatness that was all in from last night. All in? emanated from the Sears Center outside of Chicago, Illinois last night. And I know everybody in the mama is going to be talking about this. Solid Monster just put this episode out. I'm going to be listening to that probably this week. Um, I believe Sledgehammer TV has put out their episode on YouTube. I'm going to be checking out that too. And if you did not witness this live, whether you didn't go to the show in Chicago or you just didn't bother to watch All In, from the comfort and convenience of your home with a beer in your hand, you missed out on what I believe is one of the biggest events, independent or WWE otherwise, ever. I said before in the Owen predictions that it was going to be the biggest independent wrestling event of 2018. And they really came in and shattered all my expectations. And they were very, very high, considering this the story of where it started with Dave Meltzer just were simply responding to a tweet and saying that Ring of Honor could not sell out 10,000 seats. Or sell, sell 10,000 seats in an arena. And then Cody taking the challenge and then going through different venues, finding out it's going to be in Chicago in September 1st, not even having a venue yet. And then we get, we find out it's going to be emanating from the Sears Center. And then hearing the names of who was going to be on the card, 
and then getting to the card last night. And I was blown away from the zero hour that started at 6 p.m. my t- on Eastern Standard Time till they, uh, till they got the last match in and ended it with three seconds to spare on the event around 11 o'clock. I was, I was blown away. I was truly blown away by the event. The crowd in Chicago was hyped for it. Every match seemed special because it was a special event. I am willing to watch it again because it deserves a second replay. It probably won't be anytime soon because that would just be too much for me to handle right now. And just just from top to bottom, from the NWA World Heavyweight World Heavyweight title between Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes to the ROH World Championship between Flip Gordon and Jay Lethal to Okada versus Skrull to Pentagon Jr. versus Omega, uh, Kenny Omega to the main event between um, the Young Bucks and Dakota Ibushi going up against Bandito, Phoenix, and Rey Mysterio, and Bandito. Damn it, Tablet, why are you talking? Bandito receiving one of the biggest pops of the night. He showed up and showed out, and he was definitely uh, an MVP of mine for the night. There was I did not know this man, who he was, what his gimmick, what his gimmick was, what he did in the ring, and he... Definitely felt like he wanted in the main event. He fucking just showed out. And if we didn't know him before, the world now knows the name of Bandito. So kudos to him. He is he's my MVP of the night, hands down. Um, my match of the night to me was Okada versus Skrull. I posted a little vote on Twitter, uh, and pretty much everybody. I know it wasn't a lot of votes, but everybody said. Pentagon versus Omega was their match of the night, and I could, you know, I could see it on that front. I'm going with Okada's girl, just from this little storyline behind it. Um, everything just made sense, you know. We weren't falling asleep, you know. I was entertained, but most of all, whether you are a fan of the indies, a fan of WWE, or you're a fan of both, you know, like myself. It was all about just professional wrestling being professional wrestling and us having fun with it, us enjoying a night of professional wrestling from beginning to end that didn't, you know, put us to sleep or anything like that. It was fun. I don't think I'll have that feeling again for a very long time where I literally ended the show. The show went black. And I just sat there and I was just beginning. I tweeted out that, you know, I love professional wrestling. I love it. I enjoy it. And I know I'm rambling for five minutes. I want to get into the card, but every single person on this card deserves, you know, not only a standing ovation, but major kudos because they showed, they wanted to show that we have some of the best talent in the world and they proved it last night. Um, I'm going to go through some of the matches on the, the main matches of the card that I felt were the, of the most importance, but we had uh SoCal uncensored taking on the Briscoes, Bris- uh, SCU actually getting the victory. Uh, the end saw Scorpio sky, you know, recovering in, uh, from the outside after the Briscoes capitalized, isolating Kazarian in the ring. 
SCU delivers a Uranagi backstabber combo for a near fall. Briscoe's recover and delivered a J Driller and a Frog Splash elbow drop, uh, but Sky broke up the pin. We finally saw the Briscoes going for the Doomsday device, but Kazarian catches Mark in mid-flight and delivered a crazy power slam off of Jay's shoulders for the pinfall victory. SCU, SoCal Uncensored beating the Briscoes. This was a very nice opening matchup. Uh, everybody knows the Briscoes. You know Daniels, Sky, Scorpio Sky, and if you don't, I would check him out too. And Frankie Kazarian, those are name, household names. If you know about, you know, Impact Wrestling and Ring of Honor Wrestling, those are these guys were mainstays in those particular organizations. Now, I didn't know SoCal Uncensored were heels. And they could have fooled me because the crowd was giving them baby face love from beginning to end. Briscoe was working as the heels. They were booing the shit out of them most of the match. Uh, Sky and Gazarian looked pretty damn good, you know, together as a tag team, uh, fighting back from adversity and getting the victory so it was a great way to kick off the festivities we had the over budget battle royal and there were a lot of names here that we all know and love moose rocky romero we had bully ray billy gunn and his son were actually in the match tommy dreamer showed up i wasn't expecting that that was pretty that was a pretty nice uh thing to see there Cole Cabana, Brian Cage, Jordan Grace, who definitely showed up and showed out here. Uh, Marco Stunt, Punishment Martinez, uh, Trent Acid and Chucky e. T. Ethan Page, Hurricane Helm showed up. So uh, this is a uh, not a who's who, but uh, some names you definitely know about, depending on which organizations you do watch. I uh, love seeing Brian Cage in there, destroying everyone in sight. Moose, getting some love. Um... I saw Dreamer hit a bionic elbow went on to Dusty Rhodes. Um, Bully Ray had blasted him and then eliminated the Intermediate of Violence. The ending had seen Jordan Grace trying to pick up Brian Cage on her shoulders and then go for a squat. Obviously, that did not go well at all. Grace got eliminated there. Actually, she actually uh, eliminated Cage, teamed up with Cabana, to uh head to the, actually deliver their was up headbutt to Ray. Bully Ray eliminated Grace and Cabana, but he was un, but he was finally eliminated to what was an unknown luchador who after the match ended revealed himself as Flip fucking Gordon and Chicago went fucking ape shit for that moment. Flip Gordon finally getting on the all in card. I loved it. I loved the moment. Jordan Grace killed it. That was one of my favorite parts of the match. Her going after Bully Ray. She was incredible. She's got crazy strength. You know, Gordon, you know, being under the mask with some old school shit. I loved it. You know, a great way to wrap up the story. Um, to him actually going through an almost an, over an entire year of trying to get on the card, doing everything he could to get on the card, not being able to get there. Cody Rhodes not wanting him on the card and he finally gets on the card and will be facing Jay Lethal later on in the night. Matt Cross went up against Maxwell Jacob Freeman. Uh he was like from what I'm seeing he's actually was trained by Kurt Harkins and Pat Buck. He kicked off the main show against uh Matt Cross, uh, also known as the Son of Havoc on Lucha Underground. He was definitely um it was definitely a nice little opener 
you know, fan, you know, fantastic opener, a great way to start the match. The ending had seen uh, Friedman going for a late match moonsault, uh, landed on his feet, jammed his knee, cross capitalized with a cutter, and delivered the shooting star press to score the victory there. We then had Steven Amell going up against Christopher Daniels. I had never seen Christopher Daniels wrestle. I've seen him do a crossbody off the top turnbuckle when he landed on uh, everybody when he was still in WWE. Having a little feud with uh, Stardust. I never saw the match that he had with Neville against Stardust and uh, Wade Barrett. But I didn't really want to see that. And I'm glad that I saw this version of Amel against Christopher Daniels, especially a veteran like Christopher Daniels. Definitely really fucking solid match. Towards the middle of the match, uh, Daniels is working on the midsection of Amel. He fights back, delivers a Falconello for a near fall. Amel then delivers a Van Terminator for a two count. The crowd pop for that. Daniels answers with a BME for a count of two. Amel knocks Daniels onto the floor and onto the table. Uh, goes off the top for a high-risk dive, but he crashes through the table, and the crowd in Chicago was screaming, holy shit, and so was I, because the way he landed on that table when it broke was disgusting. Daniels getting out of that late, the way of that last second was just, was just, wow. It was insane. Uh, Jerry Lynn was actually a special guest referee of the match, he needed. He wanted to have a winner. He threw both men in the ring. The fans went crazy. Popped for that. Late in the match, Daniels and Lynn had a nice little argument. Amel goes for a schoolboy roll-up. Got him a near fall. Uh, Amel, I think at one point in the match, actually hit a, co- a cleaner coast-to-coast than I've seen Shane McMahon do the past couple of years. That received a crazy pop. They were screaming for that one. Amel, pretty much, uh, who was a beaten man, flips Daniels the bird. Uh, at the in the end though, Daniels goes for Angel's wings. Amel counters that, but unfortunately fell prey to a second BME and gave Daniels the victory there. What I love most about Stephen Amel, and I know he was training with Cody Rhodes before All In, and that really shows something for that a guy like Cody Rhodes would want to train Stephen Amel. Uh, Josh Segura, Josh Segura was actually uh, at ringside with him. During the match, that was a nice little touch there. Uh, Arrow co-stars, always a good thing. But Stephen Amell definitely, from what I've been hearing, has been amazing on the independent circuit. I know his uh, matches are limited, but I wouldn't have noticed that there at all. Daniel's got the victory. Daniel's getting the victory made sense, but he was he performed at a level that exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Uh, after the match, they uh, shook hands. Um, Daniels puts Amel over, you know, Amel raises raises Daniels' hand in victory, and the crowd was definitely showing some love for that. But the first match I really want to get into is this fatal four-way match between Madison Rain, Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Tessa Blanchard. I need to take a minute to actually try to make sure I get this right. This is one of the best women's matches I've seen all year. It really was. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to say if it was my favorite women's match of the year, but it certainly is up there with some of the best matches I've seen all year from the ladies. Just everything they had from when they were walking out to the ring towards the end of the match. 
it definitely shows, you know, there's more to the women than just what you see on WWE and NXT week in and week out. Tessa Blanchard, of course, is a name you already know. She's been in the Mae Young Classic last year. She had the match with Kyrie Sane, which was fantastic. Um, you know, Madison Rain is a veteran in this game, former Impact Knockouts champion, and also a, ma- a participant in the Mae Young Classic this year. Chelsea Green is a name you definitely need to know if you know her from Impact Wrestling. She is the hot mess Laurel Van Ness, and she definitely was looking a hot mess last night. And then Britt Baker, who, if you didn't know, was a wrestler, is actually actually graduated and as a licensed dentist. So she has that going for her whenever she retires and is also known as uh, Adam Cole's girlfriend. So if it, none of that caught that besides Adam Cole's girlfriend, there you go. But this match was something special. What a match. Everyone had their moments in the match, you know, with Britt Baker coming out to Adam Cole's old theme music, the crowd was popping for that. Green, of course, like I said, was in her full hot mess mode, playing up to her gimmick from Impact Wrestling. Um, Blanchard getting the loudest pop of the four, uh, get, definitely getting a star's entrance there in Chicago. And Madison Rain definitely got a pop from the crowd. Of course, you know, her being in the Mae Young Classic. Towards the end... And this is where I enjoyed the fucking shit out of this match. This is really good across uh, from beginning to end. Blanchard then had seized control of the match at this point. Charges into the corner, running shoulder first into the seal post. Chelsea Green, out of nowhere, channeling her inner uh, Zack Ryder. Of course, you know, she's dating Zack Ryder. Delivers the broski boot to Blanchard. Each woman traded finishers. I saw the Magnum uh, to Green from the top rope. Uh, Green hit an unprettier to Madison Rain. Baker, of course, has the super kick. Easily uh, down pat. Nothing could keep any of the opponents down. Uh, Britt Baker had a couple near falls on, I believe, Blanchard and Green. This is awesome chance raining from the stands from pretty much a good majority of the match because they were just enjoying what we were getting from the ladies. And this was the only ladies match of the night. And for them to put on a performance that people may, may say was match of the night, not me. I said it was a dark horse for match of the night, but with what we got was fantastic. Green delivers another unprettier hitting Baker with it this time. Uh, but she had her foot on the rope. Green then goes to build more momentum. She had an amazing Canadian destroyer on Baker. It was fantastic. I've seen plenty of Canadian destroyers. Of course, Petey Williams being the one that always sticks out the most to me. But Green hitting it clean as ever. Pow, uh, popping from the crowd. Crowd went apeshit for that. Uh, in the end, Blanchard delivers a hammerlock DDT to Green. Getting the victory just before Breaker could break up the pin. Uh, some people were saying on Twitter that it was a botch. I don't believe it was a botch at all. I think she was really trying to break up the pin but was just unfortunately about a second and a half too late. I love this match. Um, Every person in this match got a little showcase. Uh, Green, I had Green winning this match because I thought, you know, Blanchard was too obvious of a choice to get the victory. I thought, you know, Green was, um, you know, just be like a nice little, you know, oh my, holy shit, Chelsea Green beat everybody. 
uh, type of victory. That was fantastic. And she's on the heels of getting a tryout with the WWE at the PC. So if, you know, if this was any indicator of what we may get in the future with NXT, if she does sign, you know, she can definitely make waves in that NXT women's division. I'm not saying it's going to happen now, but if the tryout goes well, we could be seeing the hot mess on the black and yellow brand very, very soon. Love this fucking match. This was the one surprise of the night for me that they would do the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match so early into the match. Now, this was the fourth match on the card of the main card, sixth match overall. This was definitely a, a breakout moment for Cody Rhodes and Nick Aldis, too. This whole feud had started months back, where Nick Aldis, you know, being the World Heavyweight Champion, Cody Rhodes challenging him for the world's, world's title, and he had his chances to become the ROH World Champion, which is what all this and Cody had agreed to if they were going to face each other all in. Aldis wanted a champion versus champion match, and if he could get that, he would be able to get a match with Aldis for the NWA World's title. He was unsuccessful in two tries, and I, the only the one I remember is uh, the one that he had with um, Dalton Castle. He didn't, couldn't get the job there. And then Jay Lethal became the new ROH World Champion. So it got to a point where Cody Rhodes put his Ring of Honor title ring on the line, the one he pretty much held before the uh, ROH promotion introduced a new world's heavyweight championship the ring itself was the world's title he put that on the line in order to convince Aldis to face him for the title started the before we even started the match uh rose was accompanied by brandy diamond dallas page he got a great pop tommy dreamer pharaoh the dog who is an adorable siberian husky and i i kind of want it I kind of want to husky, but I won't tell my dog Marley because she might kill me. Uh, Ray, who Ray Lloyd, no, also known as Glacier, for those who are WCW marks like myself, uh, they had a couple other trainers there. He got uh, uh, an amazing ovation from the crowd, and this was the biggest match of his career. This is for the NWA World's title. This had lineage going back to his father, who was a three-time NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, and for him. Getting a victory tonight meant a lot to the crowd in Chicago. Um, there was so much emotion on his face. He knew this was a really big moment. You know, he wanted to be the first second generation NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And that would that was not even just history in and of itself. Winning in Chicago wouldn't mean a lot to Cody. Um, Nick Aldis came out with Tim Storm. Who was the former? It was a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Sean Davari, and Jeff Jarrett. Who I didn't even know he was the man responsible for getting his start in the industry. So seeing, of course, Jeff Jarrett being a former NWA TNA World Heavyweight Champion, uh, it was nice to see him there. All this getting the heel treatment, booze from the entire Chicago crowd, well fucking deserved because they were in love with Cody and Cody just getting the babyface reaction. But all this has that kind of swagger. And I hadn't seen him since his days as Brutus Magnus in TNA. 
he plays his character very fucking well. A lot of, I did see some things on Twitter, people saying, you know, why didn't they, why didn't WWE allow Mickey James to be there at ringside? That's his wife, blah, blah, blah. I mean, she's got commitments. She, I know she would have loved to be there. I saw her tweet out there. She would have loved to be there, you know, with her cousin in the corner. But, you know, she was very proud of all this performance. This had that, that big fight feel that I love so much. The big fight feel that you don't really necessarily see often with professional wrestling. And of course, you know, with WWE, it goes without saying. But this had something for everybody in this match. You know, Rhodes delivering a topa to a seat off the top. All this turned the tides with a suplex on the arena floor. You know, competitors exchanging offense back and forth. Neither was gaining an advantage on each other. All this was on the floor. Cody goes for a dive off the top rope. And then all this caught him with a forearm to the face. Immediately, Earl Hebner threw up the X, signaling an injury of some sort. And that's when the crowd started to mutter like, "Uh uh-oh, something's up. But I did see, you know, DDP hand something off to Cody. I'm not just going to not put that out there. We did see that. DDP makes his way into ringside. DeVore tried to interject himself in the match. He ate a diamond cutter. That made the crowd go ape shit. Cody came back up off the floor and he was bloodied. Receiving, it looked like he had a nice little cut there and he was bloody all for the rest of the match. All this goes back on the attack. Rhodes fighting out of it, delivering a snap power slam for a near fall. Rhodes missing a moonsault. Aldis re- uh, established control once again. Hits a fall away slam from the top rope that looks so damn clean. It was clean and I loved it. Later on in the match, Rhodes applies a figure four. All this actually reversed it for a bit of time, and then they both went for the ropes, rolling over, trying to get the figure four on each other. Rhodes hits an Alabama Sam. Alabama Slam. I words are, I mean, I enjoy this match so much that I can't even think of words. Uh, his back gave, gave out at one point in the match because of the uh, attack that Aldis was giving him for majority of the match on his back. Goes for a second attempt. A little bit successful. Challenger only, you know, was only able to keep that opponent down for a two count. All this Atari did challenges back, trapping him in a Boston Crab. Very nice Boston Crab. I wish he got a little bit more torque on it, holding it from the back. Um, Cody, you know, was getting, you know, was this was his best performance to date. Um, he was bleeding. He was broken. Looking out to Brandy. You know, trying to stop him from, you know, continuing this match and saying, hey, you know, it's okay. You know, you don't have to continue with this. But Cody had something to prove. Cody had something to prove to last night, and he it definitely showed. He was trying to hold she was trying to hold on to his hands and just telling him it's okay. It's okay. But then Aldis pulls him away, goes back to the Boston Crab. He finally gets to the ropes and gets out of it. He uh Fell to a pile driver for a count of two. All this scales the ropes. Brandy covering on the fallen body of her husband, saying, No more. Stop. Please stop. All this did not stop. Launched himself and landed an elbow drop on the back of Brandy Rhodes. I think I heard a, a chant of, You sick fuck. I may have heard that, but there were, I definitely was a holy shit moment there. In the end, Rhodes fought back. Delivered a disaster kick that he was looking for the entire match. I think he looked, uh, went to look for it 
twice and uh, missed both times. All this just walking out of the way. Hits it. Goes for crossroads. Could not keep all this down. In the end, I believe Aldis was going for a roll-up of his own. Rhodes traps him, grabs the legs, holds him down for the three count, and we have a new NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, and his name is Cody fucking Rhodes. The American Nightmare finally getting the victory, becoming the first second-generation wrestler to hold the NWA World's title. The pop, I mean, I've seen videos of the pop for Cody Rhodes, and it was just, it was loud. I wish I was in the building to see that, but to uh, even hear it from my TV was just so amazing. This was the type of pop that I hadn't heard in a while either. I think the last time I may have heard it was for like uh, Daniel Bryan when he returned. You know, Cody Rhodes just, you know, tears streaming down his face. Adding to the moment, the in-ring celebration was amazing. Uh, you know, getting the hugs from Dreamer, from Paige, from Brandy, who sacrificed herself to just try to stop Aldis from continuing beating on her husband. Oh man, it was it was just so you know she threw herself in a way of in harm's way just to protect her husband. Rose repays her with a championship victory. And he got his moment in the sun that we felt he deserved. And the one particular time that I could think of he deserved it was when Sandow won money in the bank. And I had really felt Rhodes was the guy to win money in the bank and become that guy and become the world heavyweight champion. It would have been really nice to see him with that. But this, this match gave me so many chills up and down my spine. I wish the only wish that I had was if they I wish they closed this show with this. And I did say this in my all in predict preview and prediction show that this was the match to close the show. Unfortunately, this wasn't. But this was a really nice moment and probably one of the bigger moments of the show itself. We then go from the NWA world title to a Chicago tree fight. Between. Adam Page and Joey Janela. This is my first time of seeing uh, the bad boy actually uh, wrestle. I uh, did a little research on him, and I come to I come to find out he's from Jersey. And so I tweeted out that uh, you know this is my first time seeing Joey Janela perform. I looked him up. First thing I saw from him, he's from Hazlitt. So I'm all for that. Hangman Page, of course, coming off that G1 Climax tournament. Had a great tournament. He was one of my he was my breakout star of the tournament itself. And he's definitely on his way to being a future star. Making the future star list, I should say, for 2018 going forward. Now, the storyline going into this match was that Paige was found out to be the actual murderer of Joey Ryan. He didn't really kill him. But he was found out to be the actual killer of Joey Ryan. And he had to somehow keep his focus away from that after having the talking boots to go into with Janela. And this match definitely delivered. It was one of those underrated matches. Another dark horse from match of the night. He blasted Janela with a big boot early. Had him flying through the ropes with a nasty tope. 
Janela answers with a tope of his own. And they, of course, they were talking about the, you know, the run that Paige was on last, you know, a couple months ago. Paige recovers, hits a huge moonsault from the top rope, wiped out Janela on the floor. Hits a pump handle fall away slam to Janela, writhing in pain, handman continuing to roll in the match. <laughs> and um, at one point, this point in the match, he pulled away, I guess, which was like a, like a tablecloth or something like that, and actually solid product placement by a Cracker Barrel by actually having a literal Cracker Barrel. Unfortunately, he got sent back for uh, back first into it, trying to send Janela into that. Janela takes advantage of Paige, grabs a chair, places it in front of the barrel, gets a nice little uh, run of momentum, and hits a somersault senton off of the cracker barrel itself and landing five rows into the crowd. Crowd was going apeshit for that. Paige recovers a little while later and grabs a table from ringside, Tease the super uh, superplex from the top rope. Janela fights uh, fights out. It's a Death Valley bomb into the corner for a count of two. They uh, Janela goes out to the outside, grabs the barrel, and places a ladder on top of that with the help of his uh, girlfriend Penelope Ford. And she, she is a little something. I will tell you that. Well, she definitely was an integral part of the match. She wasn't just there to be eye candy. And we'll talk about that in a second. So he gets the uh, gets the ladder, has that up between the ring and the cracker barrel itself. Sprawl uh, puts Paige on it, climbs the rope, climbs the ropes. At the last second, Paige catches him in torture rack position and delivers a sick burning hammer into the ladder that dented the ladder and had the crowd screaming, "Holy shit! Holy shit!" Right at a little bit, a couple minutes later. Penelope Ford then interjects herself into the match, trying to assist Janela. She flips her way out of an attack by the page. I think she did a matrix at one point. Gets out of it, hits a stunner on Hangman. Hits a crossbody off the top of the rope, leveling him at ringside. Uh, laying Paige out, she laid Paige out on the table. She ducks out of the way, and then Je- uh, Janela comes off the top rope to the outside and delivers an elbow through the table. Whole, oh my God. I think for a good majority of this match, I was literally in shock as to what they were going to be willing to do to win this match. Not only win the match, but to wow the crowd. Mind you, we were going from a very, what usually is a crowd-draining match from the NWA World's title and Koei winning that to now being in the midst of a Chicago street fight. And at this point, it was in-fucking-same. Janela gets control, taking the fight up the aisle, uh, goes up to the stage. I believe he hit a shotgun lariat at one point. Uh, Ford uh, comes over and helps uh, set up two tables. They were trying to put Paige away. He fails. Hangman recovers and delivers a running power bomb from the top of the stage, off of the steps, and barely. I think his, I think his arm caught a table and maybe some of his head, but I'll, he... Missed. He miscalculated all of that and barely went through one of the tables. I thought Janela was done. I thought they were going to throw up the X. That was it. Paige then uh, back in the ring. It's the right of the passage. Ford breaks up the pin being a Chicago street fight. Anything goes. Um, Early in the match, I believe that uh, 
Paige grabbed a black trash bag. I thought for a second it was going to be thumbtacks. And I was just like, no, we, we don't need that. We, we don't need any of that. Um, but Ford hands it over to Paige, tells her to look inside, doesn't look inside. And out comes the boots that had talked to Paige throughout the YouTube show that spooked the ever-living shit out of him. Um, wasn't enough, though, to keep it. Uh, I think he picked up the boots and he was just looking at it, just talking to it. But before that, but, at, but it wasn't enough to uh, not keep him from blasting forward a super kick. Janela then lands one of his own, and while he was holding the boot to his face, he hits him with a super kick. That produced a near fall. Janela then grabs the ladder, puts it up into the ring. He produced it, and I think they had to set up a table as well. Paige produced the phone that, quote unquote, that Bleacher Report is saying he may or may not have bludgeoned Ryan with. Uh, from there, the two were on the ladder, and somehow, some way, Paige gets Janella onto his shoulders into the position for the right of passage, puts him through the damn table, and gets the three count and the victory. Just, just ah, uh. it was that was an insane finish. And we weren't even done yet. Because right after the match, the lights go dark. Everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm really, I really can't believe I'm going to be saying this out loud, but this is actually what happened. So just run with it. I believe it was eight guys walked out in dick costumes. Before that had even started, um, there was the video of Joey Ryan was already dead, but the camera then went down to his dick, and the the dick rose. Out come the eight guys dressed as uh, penises, and Joey Ryan all of a sudden just comes out from the afterlife to an amazing pop from the crowd, shocking Paige, and it was just a shock moment. I was laughing my ass off. Twitter was blowing the fuck up this with the, I think it was a phalanx of uh, phalluses that was quoted. I believe that was Don Callis who said that, and I was absolutely just laughing my ass off at that point. Pages in shock. Pages in true shock. Ryan then, you know, puts the baby oil on, puts the lollipop into his junk, and now that, that was nasty. Um, then Ryan hits an amazing super kick on Paige. He throws him outside where the guys in dick costumes carry him out to end the segment. It's a fucking car crash. A lot of crazy bumps that I was not expecting. Penelope Ford had a standout performance. She was fantastic. I loved how... They had brought out the uh, being the elite stories into it. That was just another added layer to the match. This was fantastic. A lot of good bumps. Very good payoff post-match with Ryan actually coming back from the dead, getting his revenge on Hangman Page, and the crowd loving the segment and ending it very, very happily. Flip Gordon versus Jay Lethal. Finally, 
After getting shit on for what was more than a year, Flip Gordon finally gets his opportunity to be on the card Saturday night, winning the budget over the budget battle royal, I'm sorry, earlier in the evening to get a shot at Jay Lethal and the Ring of Honor Championship. Lethal walks out. Before the match had started, uh, a hand came out of nowhere, stops him, hands him the sunglasses of his black machismo gimmick, slaps him on his left shoulder, and he became black machismo, Jay Lethal. Shades of Randy Savage as he's coming out with the same jacket that Savage had worn prior in WCW. It was a fantastic thing. We had, uh, The crowd in Chicago definitely popped for that a little bit. Of course, the nostalgia carrying Lethal towards the ring. Flip Gordon uh, co- being accompanied by Brandy Rhodes, of all people. You know, at one, I believe at one point in the Beat the Elite, being the elite, uh, she, uh, you know, noticed that Cody Rhodes was so immersed into, you know, getting all in put together that she was just looking for a friend. And she found one in Flip Gordon. Uh, who pretty much was fighting for him and fighting in his corner. Uh, there was a nice little spot at this uh, one point in the match where uh, you saw Jay Lethal going after <laughs> uh, Brandy Rhodes and bring him into his corner. Uh, shades of um, Savage and Miss Elizabeth that had worked well for so long between the two. Uh, at one point, Rhodes was uh, yelling at Lethal saying, you know, I'm not Liz, I'm not her. Leave me alone. He then puts her on his shoulder and giving us more shades of Savage and Miss Elizabeth. That was a pretty funny moment. I marked out a bit during that. We had uh, Gordon actually controlling the match at this point, uh, working the full body of the champion, keeping him off guard. Raw athleticism. The man is athletic as fuck. He is definitely someone I enjoyed watching last night. That was really fucking good. Uh, Lethal fights his way back into the match. He was going until Pafo interrupted to draw the machismo out of him. He you know, had him channeling his inner Randy Savage. Goes up top three times and delivers uh, the elbow drop that he calls Hail to the King. Gordon then uh, summoning you know, the comeback of Hulk Hogan. Um, fighting through Lethal's onslaught and delivering uh, three punches and a big boot. He... Uh, then it hits a pay leg kick in a springboard sling blade. Uh, let's try to say that five times, fast. I can't even say it once correctly. That was a very nice moment. That was something I had never seen before. I hope Tanahashi was looking at that and trying to figure out how he can do, incorporate you know, that springboard sling blade into his arsenal. Lethal fought through it all, finally delivering his lethal injection finisher, gets the one, two, three, and retains the Ring of Honor World Championship. This was a nice little match here. Um... The Hogan Savage thing, thing, yeah, words are hard. Kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, I enjoyed it during, but then after the event ended and I thought back on it and I woke up this morning thinking about it, it was kind of weird to actually see that. Uh, after the match, Bully Ray comes in the attack and uh, attacks Lethal and Gordon, uh, also attacking Lenny Poffo, Um uh, with the, his chain, I believe he hit uh, Lethal with the chain, hits Le- oh, Gordon with the chain, I'm sorry, hits Lethal, and then uh, punches Paul Fool in the face. Cole Cabana comes out to a major pop, makes the save, 
um, gets a table out from underneath the ring, sets it up, and he, Gordon, and Lethal hit a triple power bomb on Bully Ray, giving him a nice little uh, piece, a nice little taste of his own medicine. Uh, Cabana getting a pop from the crowd didn't really add much to it. It was just a nice little way to get revenge on Bully Ray for Cabana, Gordon, and Lethal. We then go into Kenny Omega and Pentagon fucking Jr. Jesus Christ. Two talents like these deserved this spot. I guess um, they were calling it a triple main event of sorts. This definitely set off what was going to be the best, best closing three matches of the night. This was a solid match from beginning to end, man. You know, the crowd was already hyped for Pentagon Jr. Uh, if you've never seen Pentagon Jr. before, um, check out his matches with Sammy Callahan. I heard those were some pretty crazy death matches that they had. He was, he's been uh, on Lucha Underground plenty of times. I believe he had won the Lucha Underground Championship at one point, holding that title for a little while. And it was very nice to see this match. When they had announced it, I was literally shook. To think that they would have Omega and Pentagon go at each other. The hype for this was insane. A lot of star power going for this match. The title was not on the line. Um, this was definitely a dream match to some. I didn't necessarily think it was a dream match, but it was def- it's definitely a match that now I'm glad that I saw. You know, there's a lot of quality going into Pentagon Jr.'s work. Uh, the one match that always sticks out to me was him and Phoenix going up against uh, Beretta and Rocky Romero for the big top tag team titles over at Wrestle Circus. And that was a solid match. That was actually a match that I put on my honorable mentions list last year because it was just that damn good. If you can find uh, it on uh, Twitch's, their uh, Twitch page for Wrestle Circus, I would suggest trying to check that out there. It was fucking amazing. It was definitely one of those fucking matches that you can just say, holy shit, that was crazy. Now, after some early back and forth, Pentagon catches Omega with a nasty snap power slam. Made a sick thud on Omega's head when it hit onto the mat. He, Kenny fights back, delivering a series of chops. Hits the Tornado DDT that had Pentagon reeling. Springboard crossbody from the top rope to the floor. Left his opponent flat on the ground. He goes for the V-trigger. Pentagon counters. Omega then countered and delivered his signature snapdragon suplex for a two-count. Both men had to recover a little bit after the intense early goings. Then Omega finally hits a V-trigger with Pentagon propped up in the corner. Uh, Pentagon fights out of a superplex attempt. Had Omega hanging up on ropes and delivers a double stomp to the chest for Omega's troubles. He survives another V-trigger and taunted his Cerro, Cerro Mierdo chant, which pretty much means no fear. Only he's catching more pain at getting a, a powerbomb and then a third V trigger. He, Pentagon answers when a Pentagon driver for a near fall. The crowd, the crowd in Chicago was going ape shit. I was going ape shit. I wanted to throw stuff and because this was that good of a match. Pentagon continues to talk trash with Omega, delivers a package pile driver, and I thought he was done for at ringside. Just on the ground. It's a double stomp back when they get into the cir- squirrel circle. Uh, nearly gets a near fall there. Another V-trigger from Omega. He was setting up for the one-wing angel. Pentagon escapes, 
counters and delivers that signature arm breaker of his that was just... If you've seen that arm breaker once, you've seen it a thousand times. And it's just disgusting. He wrenches that. He takes that arm and wrenches it all the way back, pretty much trying to destroy the shoulder of Omega. It was just a beautiful thing to see. He follows it up with a package power driver that came within inches of ending the night for Omega. Crowd starts chanting all in around the arena. Omega counters with a big kick. Get, hits his fifth trigger, uh, V-trigger of the match. A reverse run and then hits the one-winged angel for the victory in what was probably the match of the night. I'm not saying it was match of the night, but it was damn near close in my opinion. Uh, after the match, the arena goes dark. And they were trying to figure out why the lights went out. Don Callis is asking, did they pay the bill? I was laughing at that. Um, Ian Riccoboni was trying to figure out what was going on. Shout out to Excalibur. That man is crazy on commentary. I love what he was doing. That was the first time I heard him. He kicked ass. They were trying to figure out what was going on. Lights come back on. Pentagon gets up and starts attacking Omega. I believe uh, Ian was the one who said this was poor sportsmanship on their part. And after a big boot in the corner, he drops to his knees, unmasked, and it's actually revealed to be Chris Jericho. A lot of people were saying that, you know, Jericho told Vince McMahon that, you know, he wasn't going to work in any other, you know, promotion in the United States besides WWE. That was a lie. Jericho was there last night. Um, After that, he pretty much uh, told... um. Omega, I'll see you on the cruise. Crowd went crazy for that. Pretty much just to promote the upcoming uh, cruise that Jericho has. It was really, uh, I was really shocked to see Jericho there. Of course, he and Omega had a little bit of a rivalry over the United States. I believe it was the United States Championship. Yeah, it was the United States Championship and that crazy notice qualification match they had. Which, if you have NGPW World and you didn't see that either live or at any point after Wrestle Kingdom after, it was fucking insane. This was a great moment for the show. Probably one of the best moments of the night. Seeing Jericho wasn't anywhere near a five-star classic, but it was definitely one of those matches where I thoroughly enjoyed myself here. We then get Kazuchika Okada and Marty Skrull, the villain battling the Rainmaker. This match pretty much um, went as, you know, when the match was announced on being the elite, Okada pretty much said that he was going to send Okada, uh, not Okada, Jesus, he was going to send Marty Skrull to 205 Live and show him how much of a heavyweight he was not. I think I saw a report that said Marty Skrull got a black card from Dunkin' Donuts, and I don't know how you get a black card from Dunkin' Donuts, but I want to figure out how to get one uh, that he was trying to... uh, pretty much eat Dunkin' Donuts to gain weight for this match. You know, the villain wanted to prove that, you know, he was one of the best wrestlers on the planet. He was more than a comedy wrestler. He's not necessarily a full-on comedy wrestler, but he does have moments in the match where he, he does some a bit of comedy. And I do enjoy what he brings to the ring. You know, he starts off early, targeting the elbow of Okada in an attempt to take the ringmaker out of, you know, getting the finisher on for Okada on Skrull. Uh, he was a step quicker in the beginning of the match, so he controlled that match early. Okada then hits a DDT on the Skrull 
had him clutching his neck, turning the tide in his favor. Skrull fighting through neck plane escapes a submission, delivers a lung blower to Okada that sent him out to the outside. A big kick from Okada halted Skrull. Low drop kick to the knee by a Skrull, which was always clean. Fakes the super kick, then goes for the knee. I always love that move. Gets a tornado DDT. That leads to a near fall. They had a back and forth exchange, which gave way to a brain buster. I don't know how he picked them up, because that man is, what, 6'3", 240 tops? And delivers a crazy brain buster, uh, stunning the former IWGB heavyweight champion. Skrull started to gain momentum. An Elvaz attempt to power up Okada for a powerbomb gave way to a neckbreaker from the Rainmaker. Uh, each man started getting, uh, going for near falls at this point. I kind of didn't like that. You know, they were going for near fall after near fall after near fall. I think it was about five or six before they ended that bit of the match. I always didn't like that. I mean, two or three was fine. But, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, get a little more out of it. I can understand where they're coming from. But it was one of those things that I didn't like. I didn't like that part of the match. Okada then hits a corner drop kick. Uh, one of his patented moves that always gets the crowd going. Goes for a tombstone pile driver. Skrull countered. Uh, Okada then hits the, the tombstone pile driver a little bit later on in the match. Skrull, uh, was it? Skrull grabbed a uh, hold of the fingers while Okada was pretty much trying to taunt him, trying to say 205 live. And before he hit the five, Skrull grabbed his fingers, breaks them in half. I don't know how he makes that sound. It has always been one of those things where I've tried to figure it out because uh, they had a segment before Skrull went, came out to make his entrance where he had two guys pointing at him, you know, pretty much, you know, talking shit about how we can never be a heavyweight. there will always be a junior heavyweight. He snaps the one guy's fingers. Uh, the guy who was, I guess, agreeing with on on Skrull's side started talking shit, you know, making sure he didn't do anything crazy. He snaps his fingers. I will never know how he does that snap sound. I will research my ass off to try to figure that out because I need to know. It's one of those weird things where it's just like, how does this thing work? It always it always uh caught me on that one. So forgive me for that little rant, side rant there. The villain then goes for the chicken wing, and it looked like Okada was going to tap out a bit. I think about two or three times. He fights through it. Uh, then Okada, what was it? I think Bleef Skrull pushes Okada into the referee, and we get the good old ref bump. Okada, I believe, uh, no, Skrull went for to grab his umbrella, hits Okada in the head. That sounded crazy and just rang out throughout the building. Skrull tried to actually hit the Rainmaker and almost got a near fucking fall. Skrull then spits in Okada's face. He eats two straight Rainmakers for his troubles. Okada gets the victory there. I fucking love this match. It took a little time to actually get going, but once it did, uh, it it you it got me thinking that Skrull was actually going to win. You know, it looked like, you know, Skrull got fucked because he drew Okada as an opponent. But he he comes out of this looking damn good and showing that he can hang with a top heavyweight like Okada. Even in a loss, it was it was great to see Skrull, you know, being on this stage, having a the kind of match he had with Okada. This up Skrull's stock big time. Okada's stock is already up. You know, he's one of the best guys on the planet, top three with Omega and Styles. 
But Skrull is coming out of this match looking much better for it. And I think in the future, you know, this will definitely help his prospects in terms of, you know, maybe going for the Nepper Openweight Championship in New Japan. Something along those lines. But, you know, now going into uh, the Destruction Tour, the match is going to have with Osprey, you know, to determine who's going to be the next Junior Heavyweight Champion. This only helps Skrull big time. We then finally get into the main event of the evening. The Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi against Rey Mysterio, Phoenix, and Bandito. And Rey Mysterio coming out in Wolverine gear. Got a massive pop from the crowd. Uh, I saw on Brian Cage's Instagram that he was remarked out for seeing that because it's one of his favorite, favorite superheroes ever. And I really love that, you know, at an event like All In, not just the fans are enjoying it, but the people who are performing for us marked out for it, especially for someone like Cage, seeing a legend like Mysterio in Wolverine gear and then getting a picture. It was, I mean, man, they must have had so much fun doing this. And I know that at one point, Cody was, after his match against all this, he went back to gorilla position and continued on with the show doing that from Gorilla, which was fantastic as well. The crowd was popping, of course, for the Young Bucks, popping for Ibushi. The pop for, you know, Rey Mysterio was crazy. And it, and what, the, what came out of it was what everyone was talking about in the form of Bandito. You know, starting the match, they were very, very quick. They were the quicker team, of course, being the Luchadors. <laughs> there was, um, I think there was a little bit of time left in the card. I didn't, I didn't know how long they were going to go or how long they were going to run their show. But from what we had saw on Twitter with the videos, them talking about the match, it was about as close as you were going to get. It literally got like the last, last 15 minutes, 15 minutes in, maybe, maybe 10. But there was like, you can tell it was being rushed. And I know that they wanted to have a quality main event for everyone to go home to and just send the whole crowd home happy. But this was kind of, you know, just a mismatch of stuff to get crazy moves in just so we can uh, get it done for. It was a lot of high-risk aerial assaults. You saw the twisting dive from Phoenix. Um, I believe Matt Jackson uh, jumped off the ramp, you know, giving them control in the match, you know, Mysterio hits a 619 to Matt. Phoenix hits uh, follows up with a destroyer. Bandito hits a Hurricane Rana. That was crazy. That was a nice little crazy spot. Uh, there was one spot in the match where Phoenix, I believe, was on the top rope, walks on the top rope, tight rope style, and I believe delivers an amazing kick to the face of Nick Jackson. I was just like, what in the fuck is that? Uh, I believe at this point in the match, the uh, stream started buffering a little bit, and I was like, no, 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 get back on. So I had to get out of it, refresh it, and then go back to the match. Uh, Frog Splash from Mysterio to Matt scores in the near fall. Uh, Chance of Eddie started filling the arena and in tribute to uh, Eddie Guerrero. That was a pretty nice moment there. Uh, Bandito, I believe, had um, Matt on the top rope. He picks him up and does like a backflip fallaway slam of sorts. 
It was crazy. Bandito, I mean, definitely was the MVP of the show. He showed up big time. He was doing things I had never seen before, like that uh, that backflip slam. Like, reminiscent of a Spanish fly type, but just in follow-away slam form. In the end, uh, the Bucks and Ibushi delivered a series of moonsaults, hit the melt to driver, get the victory, and immediately uh, Ian Rakabani, is it Rakabani or Rakabani? I'm not sure. You'll, you'll destroy me on Twitter for it. Whatever. Terrible with names like that. Um, they actually ended the show with the match with literally three seconds left in the all-in show itself. Commentators started to uh, do their thing. Show ends. And that was the end of all-in. This, this was a historic night for not only the indie scene, but for professional wrestling as a whole. We will not forget this night for a very long time, if not the rest of our lives. For those who were in the building to see All In, I know that is a moment they will never forget. To see talents like Tessa Blanchard and Chelsea Green and Britt Baker, SCU and the Briscoes, Flip Gordon then finally getting his moment on the All In card, fighting for the ROH World title. You got to see an amazing match with Kenny Omega and Pentagon Jr., Okada and Skrull going crazy in the co-main, in the semi-main event. You saw Stephen Amell do a coast-to-coast off the top rope, him putting, him, I guess, some of his best work. You got to see guys like Joey Janela and Hangman Page and their crazy out-of-bounds, just disgusting in the best way possible street fight. Will it be an all-in two? I honestly hope so. Um, they definitely have something going here. You know, the business side of it, actually taking a chance on themselves and producing what was, in my mind, card of the year right now, it's something special that we as a professional wrestling fan should be thankful for. It really was. Um, Cody Rhodes is now the NWA World Heavyweight Champion going forward. I'm very proud of that. You know, to actually see him, you know, shades of Dusty Rhodes. Very happy about, I'm just very happy. You know, it was so much fun to watch. If you do have time in your day to actually just sit down, even if it takes a couple of days, sit down Watch this show. Be thankful for professional wrestling on the indie scene. Um, I know there's a lot of hype now after this show. People were saying that this is the best show they've seen all year. Uh, while I was watching Joe Cronin's show, he there. You know, people were talking about you know they were just shitting on SummerSlam because of how bad SummerSlam was. You know, and we shouldn't be doing. I mean, I know I'm, I know in the beginning I talked about shitting on the Roman Reigns initiative. And that's warranted because there are people like myself who are getting tired of the whole Roman Reigns deal. And that's that. But there were a lot of people saying on Twitter, and I even said it myself, you know, this was a night for us. This was a night for fans to come together and watch something that we may never see again. 
just saying the cliche term. I hope they do an all in too. I really do because this is uh this can definitely be a once in a year thing, maybe twice a year thing if they want to do that do it that much. I know they were talking about you know all in two being at Madison Square Garden. Now finding out that you know the ROH, you know, New Japan coalition coming together and doing G1 Supercard on uh, SummerSlam weekend the same day as NXT TakeOver. That's going to be freaking wild. I know I'm going to have to go back and watch that because I'll definitely be watching TakeOver more so. But this was for us. We as fans can sit down for five hours. Whether it be in the arena or at home. Watch great professional wrestling. Great action. Names you may have never heard of before. Names you knew. And we get a show like that. I'm proud to be a wrestling fan after last night. I really am. Whether I shit on the product, you know, or whether I give it praise. It go, it, you know, if you suck, you suck. If you're great, you're great. But for one night, we can all say that we enjoyed what we saw. All In was a very, very successful show. I'm very thankful for Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks taking a chance, like I said before. All in two, please happen. Please happen for us. You can build so many names with this. You know, names we need to see. Who knows? Who could be who knows who could really be on all in two? You can get another ladies' match now. You know? Who knows? But enough about me rambling. <laughs> All In was special. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I suggest you watch it. Pay your 40 bucks. It's worth it. Do it. Thank me later. Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode seven of the Young Lions Perspective. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to check out the podcast. Now, I am followable on Twitter at SwayedSenatorWWI and on Instagram at Suede underscore Senator underscore WWI. I will be live tweeting on Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays during NXT and for every WWE NXT or NGPW pay-per-view that will come up. We will be talking about it. Guys, keep your eyes peeled for the upcoming episodes with the May Young Classic and the Hell in a Cell preview and predictions. Until then, it's late. I gotta go to bed. I got work in the morning, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk soon. See you! Oh, thank you. <laughs>